Hello and welcome to Hightailing Through History, High Tales of History's Tall Tales. Each week, two sisters get together, get high, and like to surprise each other with stories from history. It's a casual hangout. Welcome to our smoke circle. I'm glad you're here. Hello, everybody. Welcome to November and welcome to episode 16. We made it. <laughs> we made it. Four months. Yeah. Oh, I was saying we made it through you trying to kill me, taking me on my scary ride. Right. <laughs> I mean, I made it. Right, right. Laurel was fine. She was high as a kite in the side of the car, like, wee! I was, yeah, well, it was fun. It was just a fun thing. I'm really proud of you for putting yourself out there and doing it because I know it wasn't something that you really. It wasn't comfortable. I had lots of muscle cramps afterwards because I was clenching the whole time. Like, butt cheeks to like fingertips, I was clenching. (laughs) (laughs) But I felt like afterwards, I feel a little bit better about it. And I actually felt ready to go and like do it again. I was like, well, that was nowhere near as bad as walking out in the woods with a machete in hand (laughs) and other teenagers. Well, yeah, you could, uh, well, now you can just take that bravery and work on, like, the next thing, right? Like, you could go, all right, now I'm going to go try and do the Michigan Dogman. All right, okay, now, now I'm going to go try and well, do Let's not get crazy Bigfoot. now. I've got oh, nothing no, but a tent to... with me out in Michigan. Jersey let's not get crazy. Let's take it out east. Yeah. <laughs> take it out east. <laughs> the only good thing is, is they're like, no, they won't attack you or something like that in Michigan Dogman. At least oh. the, so the local First Nations, they say um, that... The dog man was a group of soldiers. soldiers that, yeah. yeah. And that they don't attack like unless provoked, essentially. And I was like, well, that's a slightly comforting thought. Yeah. Feels better. <laughs> like maybe like a tiny bit better, but not like a whole lot. Uh, we hope that you guys had a good time right in the backseat of Greta as we... Hopefully. <laughs> we went riding around the dark, dark, desolate roads of southern Wisconsin. But I had a big episode last week, and so Katie was kind enough to say, I will do a big episode this week, so that way you can I've been waiting for research. this since you actually first suggested the podcast. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm going to do so-and-so. And you're like, okay, maybe like not right off the bat. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, it's fine. I'll just wait on it. And then you're like, oh, thanks so much for doing that this week. And I was like, my pleasure. <laughs> like, really? No, thank you. <laughs> So, Katie, let's start off with what you're drinking, and then you just kick us off right into your story. Okay. Okay. So you're living on two edibles right now. Well, I am living. Oh, living. L-I-V-I-N. That's what Matthew McConaughey says. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. So Laurel is a partaking of her recreation. I took a little bit more because I, like, because I knew that I wouldn't be talking tonight. Totally. So this evening I'm partaking of Dog and Suds root beer. Is Dog and Suds around the country or no? I'm not. Okay, I'm so not think, really sure on that one. So I think it might be more local. For everybody who doesn't know, and maybe even international listeners, um, think Sonic. And if you don't know what Sonic is, I would Google it because I'm not sure what the equivalent would be outside of here. Oh, like old um, old fifties diner. Yeah, uh-huh, like drive drive-ins. Yeah, like drive-in restaurants and stuff where you That's park your exactly car up right. and then there's a little radio and you buzz in your order and then somebody comes out on roller skates and yep. puts the tray on your car and you'll see it more in like 1950s mm-hmm. Americana sort of movies. 
Thank you. There'll be more. That's exactly what they needed to hear because I was like, I don't know what to compare this to that someone would understand. For I for a while I thought you were trying to compare what root beer was, and I was like, What are you? No, where are why? If they don't know what root beer is, I can't help them. Yeah, I was gonna say this. This is gonna be too much of a. uh, Um, But so dog and suds. It's probably more of a local chain, but it's mm-hmm. really, really delicious. And their root beer is what I hail as some of the best in the world, personally. I think it's good. So, Dog and Zod's root beer and my favorite, Absinthe. <laughs> yeah, which sounds like a weird combination, but it's if oh. you are not so big on the taste of Absinthe but want to try it, that's a very popular way of doing it is one shot of Absinthe and then fill, your, fill up your glass with root beer. And one shot doesn't sound like enough. Let me tell you right now. Yeah, no, don't. Yeah, it's respect totally absinthe. <laughs> yeah, respect don't. Al- alcohol in general, but absinthe is absinthe a is particularly yeah like comes for you. Yeah, it's not a green fairy. It's like an angry green gnome, <laughs> like a gremlin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's the little green gremlin. But um, yeah, I'm like not. I'm only halfway through this drink, and I'm like, woo. Which is fun because Katie's going to be the one that's telling us a story this it's evening. It's going to be amazing. Here we go. I'm ready. Everybody buckle I'm up. I'm ready. Okay. What have you got for us tonight? A personal favorite. <laughs> Dear listeners, I've been waiting to tell this story. What'd you say? Four months? Yep. Episode 16. Buckle up. We're diving in. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. Safety first. The Great Khan a man known as one of the greatest warriors in history, started life out as an outcast of his clan and had to fight his way to victory and power to become a leader who almost conquered the world. Chinggis Khan was born in the year 1162. And for we'll just address it now because in the Western world, we are accustomed to saying Genghis Khan, which is how I had always heard it. That's the westernized way to refer to him. Um, it's not necessarily incorrect, however, a lot of what I looked up kind of pronounced it almost like a Chinggis Khan, and the Khan had two A's, so I don't know if that makes it like Khan or whatnot, but... <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it's still I mean, I don't con, know, did you like... meet him? He probably wanted it said that way. I mean, probably. <laughs> I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> so, I will be calling him Chinggis Khan, because... That's the most correct way, and if that's not super close, I apologize. I'm doing my best. So he was born in the year of 1162, near the border of what today would be Mongolia and Siberia. There is a legend that says he was born clutching a blood clot in his hand. According, <sighs> right, well, I think it was just like a lump of weird bloody stuff, but whatever. That's specifically how it was referred to every single time. According to The Secret History of the Mongols, which is the oldest surviving literary work in the Mongolian language, and it was published and written all that shortly after he died, it says that that was a sign that he would become a brave warrior, and his mother had been kidnapped and forced into marriage, which was not uncommon among these nomadic tribes. There's not really much I can say to make that better. However, that's what had happened, so. These tribes on the Asian steppes, as they were called, the steppes were like these big, crazy, like, grasslands where it's like the wind is whipping you in the face, like, 24-7, and it's harsh, and it's cold, and there's no trees, and there's no wood for fires. Basically a pretty brutal place, like, Mm -hmm. to eke out a living, sounded like. And then other parts of it between, what was it, Russia and Mongolia, if I remember correctly. 
should have written it down, but there's so much to write down. I would have been, like, writing for days if I had written everything down. The Gobi Desert? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's kind of part of it, too. So there's, like, rocky, unvegetated parts of it as well. Wow. Okay. Not necessarily, like, the nicest land. You know how there's a lot of, like, water and, like, beautiful, natural places in China? I don't know how much mm-hmm. you know about their landscape. Yeah, it's, like, it's a lot like ours. So, like, a lot of their animals and our animals do really well in each other's climates. Mm-hmm. Like, the ringneck pheasant here in America, that's actually a Chinese ringneck pheasant. Oh. They're not native to here. They're pulled from China and put here. But oh. they do great. They fit into the natural landscape like yeah. they were always supposed to be here. Yeah, always. Thought they, Thought they were native? Yeah. No, nope. yeah, they're, they're just all around here. They're Chinese. Wow. Hey, buds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're pretty, they're very pretty. They're very pretty, yeah. Yeah. So the tribes on these Asian steppes were constantly fighting, stealing, and warring with each other. I know you know some of this because of Kudayun. Now, was she a descendant of his? She was his great-great-granddaughter. Good for her. Do you know how many great-great-grandchildren he had? Oh, a lot. (laughs) That man had stamina for days is all I have to say. Yeah, well too bad raping I mean, and pillaging and whatnot yeah so as i was researching that like i'm never by any means going to tell you that he was like a good guy his like whole built-up reputation of like this crazy rapist is actually not entirely true okay like like obviously there was some of it because that's what conquering armies did i'm not going to tell you that they didn't that's very common in history that mm-hmm. that happened but Actually, it sounds like it was more like his soldiers and generals and stuff like that. Like, not so much him and his sons Mm -hmm. and grandchildren and all that. Because they were doing that whole thing where people are like, oh, one in every ten Asian men is related to Genghis Khan. And, like, they were like, well, that's not actually entirely true. They're related Mm -hmm. to someone within his ancestry. Does not necessarily mean him. So, because he had, like, 200 concubines. And he had four wives. And it turns out that, at least for those women, he treated them with great respect, is what it was told. Especially his first wife, Borta. She was like, they were pretty chill, pretty cool. I mean, it was still, in that society, it was still the men and the women. That's how it always was in that society, at least within this time period that we're talking about. Sure. But he wasn't like this crazy monster that everybody actually made him out to be. Okay. I mean, he killed millions. Don't get, don't let me get you wrong. He like, we'll get to that. But I specifically researched that part because I was like, hmm, you know, want to know more about it. So it turns out, I throw in a buzzword right now. He used fake news, dink dink, to greatly skew their reputation, the Mongolian army, because in most of these conflicts that we're going to talk about, they were greatly outnumbered. So they used fear as a weapon. He was so smart. I just have to tell you. Yeah, like he was so clever. This guy. But yes, so he's not like the crazy like. It sounded a whole lot more like he did a lot more murdering and pillaging than he did like raping. Essentially, not to sound like super aggressive, but that's just basically what they went through. And then yeah, it was a whole thing. I even descended into Reddit. That was a long journey. I shouldn't have taken it. <laughs> it's because, always a long journey. Oh, because then I got in an argument with someone, so oh. we won't get into it. Just okay. know that they were wrong and I was right. The name given to him at birth was not Chinggis Khan. That was an earned title. His name was Temujin. Temujin's early life was unpredictable and very violent. By the time he turned 10, his father had been poisoned by an enemy clan. Uh, Totters is what they said. Totters? 
almost like taters, but tatters. Oh, okay. It was where I looked it up like six different places, and that's the only pronunciation I heard. I was like, okay. Where where were they located from? Didn't say. Just within, it were they did within not the get into tribes? that. Okay. So a lot of stuff actually, especially early in Chingus's life, was not written down. Oh, okay. He started writing shit down because he was very clever. But yeah, a lot of it, it doesn't say, or specifically the articles that I had to pull from didn't mention it. They just said that was their name, Rival Clan. Oh, okay. And they're nomadic, so I'm not sure. I'm sure they're usually within the same area, but they move, too, so it might be hard to pinpoint. Sure, okay. After this happened, no one would accept the young Temujin's leadership, because he's only 10. They left him, his mother, and his six siblings for dead to avoid having to feed them. Nice. Yeah, very kind. They were forced to live out on the grasslands of Mongolia, where they survived by foraging for berries, rats, and birds. Temujin remembered... They left us with nothing. We had no friends but our own shadows. Isn't that sad? Aww. I know. I was like... That is lonely. It is, but it also created a fire of ambition, let's say. Sure. Okay. Temujin lived friendless in the 13th century in a time that was dangerous to be alive, let alone without a tribe or any protection. He knew that he needed to change his fortunes and that he needed to establish alliances and create a power base for himself. At 16 years old, he married Borte of the Ok Okanud. Some of these, there's just nothing for me to find, but Okanud tribe, if that's wrong, I apologize. No sooner had they been wed than a rival tribe, the Merkit, rode off with his new bride after ambushing Temujin. Yeah, he gets like kind of a shit sandwich early in life, but you know, made him strong. Temujin was hungry for revenge and knew that he would need backup. A man who seeks power needs friends with power. So there's a lot of quotes from him in here uh, because he would write this stuff down. So we can hear directly from him himself, which is kind of cool. I was super into that because I'm only just a tiny bit in love with the Mongolians. So, <laughs> And even though, like, I understand he's not, like, the world's best guy, but there is a little bit, like, as people go in history, this is probably my favorite. He just blows my mind. I'm not, like, blind to, like, who he really was, violent and all that, but... You'll understand when we get into it, like, why to appreciate, like, a lot of the stuff he did. He was a visionary, so there's a lot that he did that you're like, wow, way ahead of his time. Western culture could not even come close to hoping, like, to see things like he did, so. Wow. We'll get there. Okay. Temujin sought an alliance with Togrul, or Togrul. It is spelled T-O-G-H-R-U-L. As far as pronunciations, I couldn't really find anything except the stupid Google lady reading it out in a really awful oh. American accent. I'm like, that's not how you say it. Yeah. Togrul was another formidable clan chief. Temujin reminded Togrul that he himself had fought alongside his father. And to clinch the deal, you ready? Because he's a wheeler and a dealer. <laughs> I told you, he's very clever. He offered, and I quote, a lavish sable coat. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That, that, was, that. that was the turning point right okay. there. Deal or no deal. <laughs> With the help of Togrul's fighters, Temujin attacked the Merkut. One back Borte, Temujin proclaimed, We destroyed their families and emptied their breasts. Temujin's ascent to power had well and truly begun. Temujin went against custom and elected... Oh, I'm sorry, I worded that funny. Temujin went against custom and elected to put competent allies in key positions around him and not relatives. That was totally against custom. It was always done bloodlines, not merit or talent. Make sense? Mm -hmm. 
uh, all while executing the leaders of enemy tribes and incorporating the remaining members into his own clan. So he's very smart, so a lot of times they just kill and decimate everybody. That's not how he did things. All the while he's doing this, breaking customs and going on his crazy revolutionary route, one of Temujin's oldest friends disagreed with his practices and was distrustful of his growing power. I, again, could not find a pronunciation of this, so uh, it looks like Jamuka, J-A-M-U-K-H-A. Jamuka had been blood brothers with Temujin. He was the son of a fellow Mongolian tribe leader, and Jamuka had played an instrumental role in the defeat of the Merkit, so he helped him get Borta back. Jamuka struck back at Temujin, because he didn't like what he was doing, so he led an attack against him. He attacked with such ferocity, even having the captured generals boiled alive. Oh, wow. Yeah, so when people say, like, he was this terrible person, Chinggis, Temujin, right now, I'm like, yeah, but, like, did you see what he grew up in? Again, it was kind of like how when we referred to Vlad Tepish, I was like, kind of almost feel like they're a product of their time. Not that that necessarily makes it okay, but at the same time, it was like kill or be killed kind of world. Mm -hmm. So you're like, you know, I'm always very interested when people say that to see how well they would do if born in the same circumstances. You know what I mean? Good thing, for most part, today we don't seem to have this problem. Temujin wrote, Never again would I be defeated, and my loyal warriors so dishonored. So he's angry, which is not a good thing. You don't want this guy angry mm -hmm. at you. Temujin was as good as his word. When he delivered his revenge, it was total. Temujin's army fell upon Jamuka's warriors in the summer of 1204 defeating them in a blizzard of arrows and cavalry charges. Shortly after Jamaica was captured, so it was like a couple months later, they chased him down, captured him. And he requested, the balls this guy had, he requested a noble death, which basically means without bloodshed. You know, I'm just going to boil your generals and shit alive and be super disrespectful to you, but it's fine. You know, I'm still going to make my requests. However, Temujin showed him mercy, up to a point. He ordered him to be killed by having his back broken. So, he gave him his honorable death, but he still killed him. Which, I would too, but... Back broken. Ooh. I know, and they grew up together too. Which is pretty rough. This victory helped make Temujin the most powerful warrior on the Mongolian steppe. So he's come over, he's been taking over clans and all that. And now he swept in, killed his friend, but you know, his friend kind of deserved it, so... He did. <laughs> He's going to boil your generals alive. NBD, like, uh, no, very BD. Let me tell you about <laughs> why. So within two years of that, he had united all of Mongolia's warring tribes under one leader. Thus began the use of his new epithet, Shingis Khan, meaning universal leader. Did you know that? Uh, it wasn't Khan like leader or... Or, uh, something like they something said, like, like almost the literal translation of it was like vast sea leader, so basically, like, oh. universal, like, everything is wow. the idea. Okay, love that, which pretty much encompasses everything that's about to happen. If that's not like <laughs> visions from the future, I don't know what is. Here, formerly Temujin, now Chinggis Khan, established an empire. Here you go, we're gonna list off some stuff. He abolished inherited aristocratic titles 
fuck it. If you're not worthy, you don't get the you don't get the job. He forbade the selling and kidnapping of women. He said specifically he did that to stop like wars between the tribes. So right. okay, you know, I'd love to think he was a visionary in like women's rights, yeah, but no. that's not exactly no. how it goes. No. So, so I'm just gonna yeah, let you know to, now. It would be to avoid war and conflict, I'm sure. I was like, wow, how how futuristic of him, and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> don't think that highly about it. Indeed, uh, he banned the enslave enslavement of any Mongol, made the theft of livestock punishable by death. So if you look at a lot of the a lot of these are stopping warring between the factions Mm -hmm. makes sense chingis also ordered the adoption of a writing system in his country that's when mongolian like was a thing i mean he really like established them he he conducted a regular census of his people which was right i was like considering they were nomadic that you know to be able to keep track like nah he had that census man sent by hawk i'm just kidding maybe i don't know (laughs) we're gonna pretend he granted diplomatic immunity to foreign ambassadors. He did not kill them or boil them or do any other imaginative things to them. And allowed freedom of religion before any other culture caught on to that idea. He that. had Muslims, Christians, Buddhists, everything. And he's like, you're good. Totally chill. But, like, also send me soldiers when I ask for you to. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he was a conqueror. But also he's like, no. Nah. We're going to be cool because his, he was very, when I say he's a visionary, he sought to make alliances with the people he conquered. How can we make you happy and you're going to serve me? However, this can be a good thing for you. Here's how. Now with the United Mongolia, the Great Khan turned his sights outward. Buckle up, everybody. (laughs) In the early 13th century, I could not find a pronunciation for this, so I will do my best. This is a, a northern Chinese emperor. Wanyan Yonji, Y-O-N-G-J-I, Yonji, uh, the emperor of the, the Jin or the Qin is how we, the Qin dynasty is basically when this happened. So that's how, what you and I would recognize it as. Essentially northern China, because China was not a united state at this time. So the emperor of the Jin sent a message to the upstart warlord, as he called him. Our empire is vast as the sea. Yours is but a handful of sand. How can we fear you? Now, his claims are not unfounded. The Qin Dynasty of northern China was perhaps the most powerful polity, is what they call it. Basically, like, political, like, entity, empire thing. Oh, okay. It's a weird thing, but that's specifically the word they use, so I kept it in there. Is the most powerful, let's just say empire, on the face of the earth at the time. Their arsenal contained gunpowder and an army of -of state-of-the-art weaponry, such as catapults, coupled with unimaginable wealth, and the Great Wall of China. The Qin feared no one. Unfortunately for the Qin, these weren't just any old bunch of nomads, and the man commanding them them, wasn't just any old leader. He was Chinggis Khan, one of the greatest military commanders in history. And eventually, it was in the heart of the great empire itself, in the streets of Beijing, what is now Beijing, its capital city, the Chinggis Khan would announce himself to the world. Mm. Indeed. Here we go. So he first attacked what is now Beijing. There was the old name in there, but I actually couldn't pronounce it, so we're just going to call it that for now because that just, everybody knows where it is. And it's the same city, same limits, all that stuff. So he first attacked Beijing in 1214. 
but a few years prior had already launched a massive invasion into northwestern China, pillaging, plundering, and killing on an epic scale. The Great Wall did nothing to stop him. He went right around it. Yeah. So, basically, he was like, nope. After he just went around and, like, left a massacre in his wake, uh, he then arrived at what is now today Beijing, and he was confronted with another wall, 12 meters high and 10 miles long, defenders lining every inch, ready to rain down molten metals, crude oil, excrement, and poisons. Listen, he didn't become one of the greatest military leaders in history for no reason. Chinggis writes, I had trained my men to attack with the speed of the wind. Now, they had to learn the guile of the wolf. It's very poetic. He's so fucking cool. (laughs) (laughs) He's just like, yeah. I don't know why everything he says is so metal and awesome. I'm like, damn. And like, always also like mysterious. And you're like, man. So they waited. Slowly strangling the Qin capital in a long siege. Thousands starved within the walls. Prep yourself. And the population resorted to cannibalism. So to feed the soldiers that were starving, they killed and ate the peasants. Mm. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's an unwelcome detail. Yeah. Still he waited. Into the summer of 1215, with the city at its breaking point, he ordered his men to storm the city. Chinggis Khan, who had been the butt of the Chinese emperor's jokes and a leader of two million illiterate nomads, brought the Qin to their knees. Visiting ambassadors reported the streets of what is today Beijing were slippery with human fat and that beyond the walls stood a mountain of bones. Whoa. I know. And he, like, don't get me wrong, he went in and, like, murdered everyone. However, up until that (laughs) moment, all he did was wait. So it was like, all he just let them like starve themselves out. And I'm like, well, I mean, if you've got the time to wait, you might as well. I'm sure other things happened, but that was all they spoke of it. Defeating China would have been enough for most and elevated him into the pantheon of great military leaders. But for Chinggis Khan, that was only the start. He and his successors built the largest contiguous empire in the history of the world. A 12 million mile swath of land from the Sea of Japan to the grasslands of Hungary in the heart of Europe. Four times the size of Alexander the Great, two times the size of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. I say we start adding Mongolian history to our elementary schools. I'm just saying. (laughs) Everybody knows about the Roman Empire, but nobody talks about Mongolia. Uh, Actually, that's pretty true, yeah. I don't think... It's ever come up really as part of our no it doesn't curriculum which yeah. kind of doesn't make sense to me we talk about the egyptians time to throw some horse lords in there man <laughs> in 1219 chinggis khan went to war with khwarazm the khwarazm empire what is present day turkmenistan uzbekistan afghanistan and iran okay. so this was the empire that was there The Sultan agreed to a treaty, but the first caravan, it was a trade treaty, by the way, the first caravan that was sent had its goods stolen, the merchants were murdered, and Chinggis's ambassadors were killed. Oh. A really fucking terrible move, Mr. Sultan, man. I know you're dead, but I'm speaking to you beyond the grave. (laughs) That was dumb. (laughs) Wow. Despite once again being outnumbered, the Mongolians swept their way through one... Khwarazm city after another. 
skilled workers were usually saved, but aristocrats and resisting soldiers were killed. Unskilled workers, meanwhile, were used as human shields during the next assault. So, nobody was left alive unless you were useful. By the way, fun fact moment, Temujin roughly translates to blacksmith. Oh. So that was his original name. I forgot to write that down. But as we were talking about skilled workers, I was like, oh, by the way. That's really interesting. Was that... It didn't say. All it says is that his mother was kidnapped and forced into marriage. And I was like, okay. And then his dad got poisoned. Then they don't talk about him ever again. Huh. Okay. he kind of was raised without him. He was like, well, whatever. Kind of had to forge his own path kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know why they called him blacksmith. It's essentially roughly what it translates to. Chinggis returned to Mongolia after his conquest, but did not rest for long, as he turned his attention back to what I could figure out closest to the pronunciation, Shichia Kingdom, who refused to contribute troops for that first invasion right, into yes. the Middle East. Yeah. So, and he was like, hey, you, fucker, I know what you did. I see that you didn't send anyone. Do you think you were getting away? Absolutely not. Guess what? And now I'm back, and I'm going to be... And now pissed. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Sad days ahead. Okay. In 1227, a horse threw Chinggis Khan to the ground, causing internal injuries. He carried on with the campaign, but his health never recovered. On August 18th of of 1227, Chinggis Khan died. Sad days in history. He would have been about 65 years old. And he passed just before they crushed that Chishia empire. Oh. So his son carried it out. Okay. And, like, murdered them all. I don't know. He just said they were crushed. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing your first probably, probably is not far off. Yeah. Probably not. Especially, he was enraged by the loss of his father. I don't know that. But, yeah, sad days. There were a couple different accounts, and apparently it's very difficult to find out how he died, but that oh. is the most widely accepted one. There's another one that circulates around that he got shot with an arrow, it got infected, and he died. Oh, okay. But regardless, either one is very possible, and that's the one that seems to be talked about more commonly. So, horses throw people all the time, even those of us who have ridden them for 21 years, you know, it happens. So, uh, And he was 65, so he wasn't as spry as he used to be. I think that's extremely old for the 1200s. Yeah, yeah, he must have been like quote-unquote ancient ancient that's yeah. kind of what i thought too but i mean he was metal as hell so i'm not surprised he lived so long and it's all that rock and roll and metal that's <laughs> flowing through his veins they keep some spry and, and vengeance vengeance and flows vengeance. <laughs> vengeance and metal and the 200 concubines uh yeah that I mean, man had stamina for days. I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> there was even something else. He didn't like start out with like 200 concubines. He only had a few, but he added 30 virgins every year. I was like, all right, buddy. That's what I said. I was like, what in the hell? And it was volunteer too. I was like, well, what? yeah. Did you just cut it off at 30? Like, no, that's enough. <laughs> but I mean, well, whatever. Regardless. So they carried his body, legend tells you, back to Mongolia, homeland, obviously. And we don't know where he's buried. Secret. But I don't think anyone in Mongolia knows where it is either. But if they do, they're not telling. Which I don't blame them. I mean, I would erect a palace next to his gravesite, but that's just me. <laughs> and all they said is that it was buried near a sacred mountain. Whatever that means. Okay. That was all that was told. There was even, like, story... Again, 
So, like I told you, there's a lot of, like, things that made gave them a very fierce reputation, even if all of it wasn't true, which is fine, because that's part of the conquering thing, you know, that's used to your advantage. Um, they said that the soldiers killed everyone that they met along the way as they left, and that they took the secret to their grave with them. That was some, like, a little excerpt I read of that. And then I heard something like, then the soldiers were killed. The soldiers that something took like them that. To the, were yeah. then killed, so yeah. then no one, no one knows. That's right, you know a lot of this. I always forget that. No, I actually just I just read that recently when I was trying to find memes for like when I was trying to find for Shingus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for our um, social media. Yeah, and I happened to see that. And I was yeah, like, isn't that Whoa. intense? Yeah. So as far as I know, nobody knows where his resting place is. So I kind of I almost feel like the people in Mongolia know where it is, but they're not going to fucking tell you because they're like, no, man, that's our secret. Like that comes with your citizenship, like maybe. This is, this is like the pilgrimage like to the say, sacred like the ground, dude. Mongolia, no, you're like, all of them, every single person. Every single one of them, don't even lie to me. But, no, but they're kidding. really awesome in keeping secrets. They are. Uh, Again, comes with your citizenship. <laughs> yeah. But no, I don't know. But I thought that was pretty cool. I would go visit it. But you can't bring flowers. You have to like bring the crushed bones of your enemies. Ooh, sprinkle it on his grave. <laughs> it's true, dude. Except if we knew where it was. <laughs> There's something very ferocious about him. And, like, yeah. there's so, there's such a vivaciousness of spirit, even in the face of adversity, great adversity, that he was, like... I mean, you even see it, like, look, I mean, in his kids, his sons were conquerors. You know, they actually brought it, the Mongolian Empire, as not at its peak while he was alive. It was after he died. But he put in the backbreaking labor, so yeah. there. But that's actually, I also read that that's what saved um, Europe. So his oldest son, Ogadai, is kind of what it looked like to me. Do you know which I've one heard, I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I've yeah. heard the name. Yeah, it looks like Ogadai, right? Yeah. Um, so his oldest son, Ogadai, went all the way into Europe through Hungary, <laughs> surged into Poland. Like, that's how far they were. They were almost in Germany especially for people present day. Mm -hmm. They were right. They were just sweeping across Europe. Europe had no chance, not a chance in hell, high water, whatever. <laughs> what happened was somebody died in election for the next con was up, and they, they said, boom, gone overnight. And specifically the article mentions virtually overnight they were gone. Europe had gotten a spectacular break. Wow. Because they would never have stopped. Wow. You couldn't stop them. They were like, they were the power of the day. And there's a YouTuber I watched that um, she is first generation. And I'm going to say, so I understand that China is a very uh, diverse land with a lot of subcultures mm -hmm. and people in it. So when I say Chinese, I realize it doesn't necessarily represent everyone, but I am not educated on any of the people within it. Okay. So I have to use Chinese because I don't have a better term to use. Okay. I appreciate um, the uh, four. There are like <laughs> 56 there. different languages in China or yeah. something crazy like that. Uh, yes, I've heard that it, it's, it's yeah, very, it's... very, very diverse. Mm -hmm. So it is not just one Yeah. necessarily like, oh yeah, they're all the same thing. That's not the case at all. Right. She, so she's a YouTuber who lives here in America, goes over like, um... Kung Fu Panda and Mulan, the 1998 and the stuff like that. Super cool. Should check it out. 
fluent, obviously, in what I believe is Mandarin and Cantonese. Okay. Because there's multiple, again, languages yep. that they use. Those are the only two I'm familiar with. Pronunciation describes the culture down to like a deep level. Fabulous. Wow. Absolute. I'll let you post it in there because I actually, okay. I can't pronounce her name. I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> she was making a joke with her mom one day because they were f- something about northern China, how it was its own dynasty, the Qin dynasty, mm-hmm. before it was a, China was a unified state. And talking about her mom was like, those Mongolians, like, they should be Chinese. And she looks at her mom and she goes, mom. Mongolia owned us. We should be Mongolian <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. It was really funny. Like uh-huh. I started laughing really hard because I knew what she was talking about. Right. Um, she or they, regardless, whatever it is, I've actually never heard her say one way or the other. So, Oh, um, or, I'm that not, they're, non, they're non-binary? I have no idea. Someone oh. said it in the comments, but I don't take comments as gospel. Oh, I did right. not. Oh, that's weird. Okay. I didn't hear how she or they preferred their pronouns so i'm just gonna call her she and tell him corrected in which case she is then they (laughs) so but yeah great super educational channel and very helpful to me when i have to delve into chinese history because that shit is thick Mm -hmm. (laughs) very thick very interesting like just oh it's fascinating but there's a lot of it and if you don't know what you're wading through which our western culture is kept very much away from the east so there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot that I think our cultures just haven't shared with each other because, like, maybe they never bothered to say, we never bothered to ask, like, you know, that whole thing. Uh-huh. Our governments are kind of also in conflict, too, so that doesn't help. Mm-hmm. But regardless, history should be free for all. <laughs> you know, regardless of whether our governments don't get along, it doesn't mean I don't want to know China's history. It's interesting, and it's one of the oldest places in history. So. Yeah. There's a lot to dig through there, but um, yeah, Asia's got a, in general, just as a continent, so has much so it. much, yeah, deep, rich history. So uh, a couple things, just going over, yes, Chinggis Khan, but also the Mongols as well, because at this time the empire, like I told you before, was not at its height when he passed. It was like right after that. So what made Chinggis such a great leader? Uh, says he was a man of constant learning and his ability to adapt is what set him apart from other leaders. So he saw situations, assessed them, and then because, and I think I told you in the midst of things how he was almost always outnumbered, no matter what they were doing. Yeah, so it's it's not always brawn, but brain, and a little bit of crazy. <laughs> and while there is debate over who is the world, who the world's greatest military leader is, He's commonly put in the top three, at least. Well, um, that's impressive, yeah. Right alongside Napoleon Bonaparte and Alexander the Great. Not to toot my own horn, but Chinggis was never, he never ran away from a horde of bunnies. <laughs> and his empire was four times the size of Alexander's, but who's counting? <laughs> I did write that down because Bunny I attack. was like... Episode three, there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not to plug it, but I was sitting there and, I, and they're like, yeah, he was like great, but like Napoleon was a great leader. I was like, Napoleon was defeated by bunnies and had mm-hmm. to run away in a carriage. I'm sorry. Winters in Russia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was Which, like, I mean, that's... Yeah. I don't know. I was like sitting there, I was like, I mean, they're great, but still, like I can always be like, yeah, okay, but, you know, like his empire was larger. He started with less. 
he did more with less, in my opinion, because a lot of times Napoleon and Alexander had the bigger army, didn't they? I mean, typically, yeah. I thought, see, so. Yeah. Or at least Chingos they had not. battle tactics. Sorry, my military history is not, like, amazing, of course, but uh, yeah. the Greeks and the Romans had different military oh, tactics, too. Didn't you they know, have they had... the whole, what was the thing called where they broke into the groups? There's a name for that. I don't remember what it was. Well, they'd have the phalanx, right, where they're in those, like, rectangle or, like, the You're squares. talking about the turtle thing? The yeah, turtle. sort of. Yeah, yeah so the they, could, they could shield themselves yeah. and be, like, a little shielded group, and then yeah. they would have their spears that could go yeah. know, longer. And especially, I think, Alex, they had longer, Alexander the Great's army had longer spears, so it could so go more further. like a pike. Yeah, like a pike. I couldn't remember the name of it. I'm, like, yeah. doing the most. There's a shit hands. ton of different names for those kinds of weapons, depending upon what they are and how they're used, so we won't even go into that. As I say, people with much better military history oh, than <laughs> well, the what I've got on, you know, on the top of my brain right, right now are probably screaming it, going, oh, my God. It's called this, <laughs> but it's... an idiot. It's, it's yeah, a general so idea. Yeah, pull that out. Oh, my God. Anytime I watch, minute. like, my shows, or especially, like, my cartoons, like, especially the, like, old Japanese one, Blake goes, and I was like, what is that called, that weapon? He's like, oh, it's called this. I'm like, why do you know that? And he's like, you do realize I had to be educated in these things because yeah. he had to use most of them. Yeah. I was like, oh, all right, like, step weapon off, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so... I don't know. Even then, I just listen. He's number one. Okay, just don't even. Come <laughs> no, I see what you're it. saying because literally, yeah. they had yeah. more. They had larger armies, and they had more like tacticians, quote mm-hmm. unquote, around them. Not, not Genghis. He had to do all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and he was extremely intelligent. You know, I mean, he got what he got. Like he had to have the willpower, the vision, the intelligence, and you know. The know-how to get that done, to forge alliances, to get people to back him, um, which kind of runs into the next thing that the historians were talking about. He was generous with the spoils of war. People like a winner, and when he won, he shared with all who were loyal to him. He didn't just keep it to himself. He was like, hell yeah, 30 virgins for everyone. Like, I don't know, I'm just (laughs) saying. But, like, he was, they specifically said that, like, it was written that, you know, especially if you were close to him and higher up and, you know, had been promoted by him. Loyalty was especially, 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 oh my God, what are you, six? Especially important to him. Yeah. And he rewarded that. So he's a smart guy. You know, and he sounds, I mean, maybe he's not, but what's interesting to me is a lot of times when you talk about leaders like Napoleon and stuff, they always talk about how these people are kind of like paranoid, mm. especially the older they get in life. That was never mentioned with him. But he did have a temper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, especially, like, when people pissed him off, like, the Sultan and over in the Middle East, like, in the Uzbekistan area or whatever it was now. I think it was, yeah, like, Afghanistan, Afghanistan and Iran and, and all that. Yeah, uh-huh. And, um, like, he sent the ambassador's heads back in, like, a sack. Like, he lost his shit. And he was Casual. like, okay. we're, yeah, we're yeah. going to fucking kill him, so let's go. And, like... I imagine they all just rode out screaming on their horses. Like, maybe not, but I like to picture it that way because it's way more epic. And another point that was interesting, it's kind of worded oddly, so I did my best to, like, word it in a way that made sense to me. The question was, was Genghis Khan, like, 
especially like bloodthirsty or was he like i i took it to mean was he super violent mm-hmm. and uh i mean i know what i think but then also one of the articles i have uh was by spencer mitzen of the bbc he seems to think that this is popular only because he was so much more successful than his contemporaries and i agree but I like the way he put it because he just said that they have this just this big, bad, like almost rap sheet throughout history. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I mean, yes, they were fierce, especially like when resistance was shown. But he's like, but that's not who they were necessarily like as a people. And again, how I said in the beginning, they lived in a really not just a violent era because it was a violent era, but like also their terrain and the geography of where they lived was extremely harsh. Mm-hmm. But I really like that uh, the Spencer Mitzen guy pointed out that he, indeed, he seemed to show great restraint, as he knew that to create an empire, you would need to work with the people after you had conquered them, mm-hmm. which is true. And, I mean, we'll, you know, I'll say that a little more as we go, but they've always pointed out how as long as people, like, weren't resisting, like, you know, he'd want to talk to you and be like, all right, listen, here's the deal. You know, and he didn't jam people for religions. He was like, yeah, do whatever you want. That's great. Don't cause a problem for me, but mm-hmm. you're fine. Yeah. Which I thought was, it was just really interesting. Very open-minded in mm-hmm. a lot of the sense of how things happen, especially um, how we've seen a lot of history. You know, and a lot of history that, like, I don't know if Western is maybe the correct word, but a lot of times when you see... uh Governments, monarchies, um, things of power when the church is attached to it. Right. Any yeah. church, it's always very like, no, this is what we believe, therefore you must believe. Much, I was just about to ask, yeah, was much there sort like of a colonizing. push of like a yeah, no. a culture on, on the people that were conquered or nope. no. You can mm-hmm. live your life as you've always lived it. Yeah. However, I'm in I am the captain now. I'm in charge, yeah. basically, right? And when okay. I ask for soldiers, send me soldiers. Okay. But actually, he encouraged commerce amongst the cultures. Get, so he uni- he's uniting everybody yeah. under, quote, the great Khan himself. Under, yeah. And then being like, okay, now talk amongst yourself and selves and trade. And mm-hmm. Also, uh, the Spencer Mitzen made the point, it's much less expensive to terrify cities in advance when, when you before you show up than to spend the time and money laying siege to it. So... Again, because of that super bad, like, rap sheet, then how they're presented to us, he said, you know, by the time they got there, half the work was already done for them. You hear that war cry, and you hear them coming, thundering along on their horses. You'd be like, fuck, and you throw down your shit and leave, because you're like, I'm not, nope. I even heard long time ago when I was a kid, and I don't know if it's true, I didn't find any research to support it, that there are places who just threw down their arms and were like, nope, take us, we're yours. <laughs> like, it wouldn't surprise me, though. It, it won't, no, it wouldn't. You know, and there were some people who said some of them wanted to be conquered by him because it was better under him economically than it was under their own. But again, that was a long time ago I heard that. Sure. Okay. Do I believe it? Yeah, I actually do. Just because there's a lot of, like, positive things he brought to the table for some of them now again the conquering would be the rough part sure you know and like they did kill a lot of people like that's talked about they're like no yeah like they like yeah not we're not gonna we're not gonna dress this up and glamorize it yeah no he he like slaughtered by the thousands and i was like whoa but as i mean i'm not not to defend that behavior by any means but that was also not uncommon that was what 
I hate to say it, but that was kind of what was done mm-hmm. generally, you know, well, across like the board for Napoleon, all cultures. Alexander the Great, yeah. the Roman Empire. Right. Uh, like, I mean, it happened like again, 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 again. War is hell. Yeah. yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. It's kind of just whoever was like top dog civilization at the time seems to take over its time. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like, I just kind of noticed that repeating theme through history. To bring us to our next point, they said, did Genghis Khan change the world? And a lot of historians seem to agree that, yeah, he really did. Uh, he is credited with shaping Eurasia, okay, yeah. a lot of that, and, and to a large extent, the modern world, as we know it today. Khan and the Mongols came very close to unifying Eurasia into one giant empire. He reawakened the old Silk Road that had connected China to its uh, western neighbors. He connected the eastern and the western world. Because, I mean, they went right into Europe, as you know. As the Mongols swept across Asia and Europe, they brought with them many technologies. Here we go. Paper. Okay. Brought paper. Gunpowder. Paper money. Compasses. And believe it or not, trousers. Oh, hell yeah, because sometimes you guys just have some pants. I mean, (laughs) not in Europe. You would want trousers, not pants. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Trousers to go over your pants. Indeed. (laughs) Um, which was kind of like really interesting to me. I was like, was everyone just wearing kilts up until this time? The Romans did wear skirts now that I think about it. And togas. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But that was specifically mentioned. I was like, all right. Which makes sense because they're nomadic and on horseback. So of mm-hmm. course they're not going to wear. Yeah. They're not going to wear any skirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't want anything flying around and flapping in the breeze and stuff like just, that. Like it's like, just more comfortable. And you don't to have blind like, you your, and your junk is flapping um, in the breeze. It wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're also you're you've ridden horses for forever and a day. Mm. If you were doing that, if you're riding a horse and your your thighs were potentially bare or uncovered in some oh, you way. would chafe you would so yeah the, it would be really uncomfortable um, wouldn't it? a lot of if not a lot but a few of the first nations that had horses a lot of times they were pretty close to naked they didn't ride for distance though mm-hmm. like generally yeah. they didn't uh if they did they would put chaps on right okay they, like the full deer skin and all that because it's just too punishing on your legs and your and your hips too i don't think people realize that uh that's why like John Wayne and, like, other people who spend their lives on horse. They walk bow-legged. Oh, yeah. Because it's really difficult on your hips. Okay. Everything. So, like, when I get off after, if I've been in at a show and in the saddle all day, I'll walk bow-legged. Mm-hmm. A little bit. I'm like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, Genghis was probably bow-legged Aww. as hell. <laughs> Him yeah. and all of his army. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And especially if you're in, I mean, not only the military side of it where the horse is your part of your weapon weaponry you know yep. but also as a nomadic tribe or as it's their say, transport people, it's your transportation right it's like you're because you know they probably each had a couple ring. and they just switched between them and then the ones who didn't carry you know were resting by traveling with no one in the saddle like mm-hmm. you're in the saddle constantly perhaps the most lasting impact was a nucleus of universal culture like we were talking earlier a world system by encouraging free commerce open communication shared knowledge secular politics, religious coexistence, along with international law and diplomatic immunity, which is very important to him. We've touched on that a couple times because he got pissed when people were mean to his ambassadors. So, Also, Chinggis was the guy who'd be like, 
Okay, so that's how it's going to be. Strap on his saddle and he'd ride out. He would go tell you himself. He wouldn't send anyone. No, he'd come down, oh. rip you down from your throne, and then stand in front of all your people and be like, by the way. <laughs> Could you imagine uh, him riding up and being like, look, let me just tell you a thing or two. He could probably tell you a thing or two. He, no, I mean, he would. He would say, I'm going to tell you a thing or two. And he would tell you a thing or two. And you'd be like, oh, God, I've been told a thing or two. And then. You probably wouldn't. If he was riding up to tell you specifically a thing or two, you probably wouldn't be alive. Yeah, I wouldn't hear what the thing or two was, probably. Uh, your head would be rolling by his feet by the time he was telling you his thing or two. It would, and he would repeat that for everybody else. Be like, this was the thing or Louder two. Louder for I was those in the them. back. This was the thing or two that I was going to tell them. I'm going to repeat it now for all of you here. (laughs) For you. Um, So you all don't make the same mistake. Yeah. But again, like, a lot of cultures, it was spoken of very well once he had them. But, you know, again, like, things were expected. You were expected, like, look at the Shishia Mm -hmm. or Shishia. I don't have the best accent when it comes to saying it, but... Um, that kingdom, remember they didn't send him troops, so when he got back from the Kuwarzim, Kuwarzim Empire? Yeah, and I mean, he just, like, annihilated it, but, and then went right into, like, Europe, but that was, um, Ogadai, Yeah. His oldest son, who went into Europe and Poland and all that. They were in Poland! It's, like, right there. Whenever I think about how far the reach was of the Mongolian Empire post Chinggis Khan, when his sons like expanded the empire further, like you said, when for they a went, little bit, yeah, when they it went didn't to last Europe. too long. But I wonder, like, what impact that may have had on the culture of how different our Central world would be Eastern today. Europe. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, if there's anything left over from that time. Now it wasn't so long because wasn't it? It was just pretty much over the course of the 1200s, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so by the time it got to the 1300s, that's when everything was, or just before the 1300s, that's where everything started to kind of break down to their that's own when they tribes kinda... and factions and Kudians yeah. on the scene at that point. Yes. And, and they had also Kublikan. pulled out by that time because yeah. they had to go back home because right. there was an electing another Khan mm-hmm. and people had to go back and make war. F- I mean, not war, but like, you know, dibs at the elected titles and so because he did away with the whole relative bloodline thing. He was like, yeah, fuck that. And then when he died, he put the four, he split it up between his four firstborn sons because he had four wives, but with Borta, his first wife, he had four sons. Okay. They never talk about his daughters, which is interesting. Yeah. It's so, Makes the entire time yeah. I was doing this, I was like, wow, it was so different in Kudayun's time. Yeah, but I think she was also... A singular woman. Mm-hmm. Like not she, all women that she stood like out from the rest because yeah. that she had this. An she amazing, had his like, spirit. Yeah. Well, she had this amazing strength that mm-hmm. even if women were strong and sturdy and capable, whatever it might be, she was stronger and sturdier and more capable than a lot of the men and yeah. all of her brothers and generals and things like that. You know, so she, and it was very smart in her military tactics and her you yeah. know, her knowledge of warfare was she really was a descendant too. of him just look at it she was yeah. like a little reborn con and the fact that she had that the uh metal what was the what's the name of the metal that i can't remember but it just i she don't had know the special like men's one that yeah no other that woman, no other woman, woman had, had yeah. earned yeah it just the entire time i'm like reading like first of all mongolia still remembers this man obviously sure, yeah. like there's a lot of stuff named after him and he's still talked about like that 
band that I love so much, The Who, they have a song entitled The Great Chinggis Khan. Not just Chinggis Khan, The Great. That's specifically how they refer to him. So he's a big deal. And it's so fascinating to me that when I just Googled about the Mongolian wrestling, they did the the flapping after yeah. Kudayun. Even her effect is that long-lasting. Yeah, She was a special individual, you know, especially as a woman. That's what's so yeah. fascinating to me, especially like you look at it from Genghis's time. Or he didn't give anything to his daughters. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe he didn't have any. I doubt that, but, I mean, I don't know. It, it's not spoken about. That's the things. Mm-hmm. It was so long ago. Even Kudayun's time, things were written down way more. The only surviving literary work, the first one in Mongolia, was done just after he died. Right, okay. He wrote in it, but, you know, just there's not a whole lot to go on. And when you're a traveling people, it's mm-hmm. not like you're going to carry no. scrolls and books Where and tomes put of it? your history. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, put, They said specifically in that, that uh, the what did I say, the Khwarezm Empire? Okay. He, like, decimated their libraries. Like, they raised the cities to the ground. I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, man. Bummer. I mean, yeah, but... Dude, he I sent mean, the heads back. Is, that was a bad move. <laughs> Did he not hear what see, happened? Like, to... Knowledge getting decimated like that. You're like, oh shit. It is. It didn't say that they like burned it or anything, but they ransacked everything. Yeah. Is specifically how they said it. So maybe they did. Maybe they, you know, poured wine on it. I don't know. But <laughs> that'd be Katie as a Mongolian. So again, all the crazy awesome things. After his death, the Chin and Song were the two, like, kingdoms in China. They were unified politically and administratively by one of his grandchildren, Kabulin Khan, Kabulin Khan, Kabulin Khan, uh, which is now modern-day China. Those borders, geographically and politically, it uh, maintained its integrity today. To this day, wow. To this day. That's very impressive. Yeah, so he's credited with bringing about what today would be modern-day China. Because it was given to that, it was passed down to that Khan. So it was handed to somebody, and then he was the grandchild. But he unified it again. You see a lot of like his children and grandchildren, and even great great grandchild like Kudayun. They have a lot of his characteristics mm-hmm. that that same spirit and ferocity, and but also that what did he call it? The guile of the wolf. Yeah, you know. Without Chinggis Khan's conquest, Marco Polo would never have made it to Asia. He's also the one who wrote that he got, like, shot and wounded and died. But in that work, that book, uh, The Secret History of the Mongols, in there it's said that he fell off the horse and died. Oh, okay. So I'm going with that one. So there. <laughs> Marco Polo also is one of our few primary sources that we had for Kudayun as well, too, because yeah. Marco Polo was there at the same time that she he was He would living. never have made it there if Chinggis hadn't Interesting. led his conquest across Eurasia. To tell them a thing or two. <laughs> About a thing or two. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I also know, I also heard that he embellished a lot. Is that true, Marco Polo? Marco Polo, yeah. Yeah, so you kind of have to take... A grain of salt. Take it with a grain of salt, yeah. Because there's some ways that he describes Kudiyu where some people are like, all right, now there, buddy, like, calm down. Did he say get, he was like, kind of in love with her? The rumor or the kind of thought when people are looking back at his writings of Kudiyu in particular, where people mm. were like, yeah, he might have been a little smitten by her 
Which is, you know, I mean, I whatever. was when you were yeah. talking about her. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I had little hearts in my eyes. I was like, wow, what a woman. Yeah. Which, yeah, is is fine, I guess, but that can skew the historical know, accuracy. Yeah, where yeah. He's kind of like, she's so great. She's got the strength of 10 men or, you know, whatever. Not that he's saying <laughs> that, but it was kind of. She did. <laughs> embellished like that. Where yeah. She, she had the skin of this and the hair of that. The skin the, of a swan. Know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> You're like, okay. And that some historians were kind of like, all right, they're pumped the brakes there, buddy. Like, we need, the the, we need the actual story here. We don't need your poetry. Listen, I understand it, you're in love, but yeah, so. that's funny. But yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize. So because of the unifying of Eurasia during that time. Mm-hmm. He made it possible that, for him to come through. Because think about it, diplomatic immunity and okay. the sharing of the knowledge right, and right. reawakening of that Silk Road, which connected the Eastern and Western worlds. You know, culture was shared and trade and commerce and all that. That's all because of Khan. Well, that's good that that stayed. I mean, obviously, it was a positive impact that he had. In, it kind of stayed so. until, like you said, the Mongols receded back into whatever, you know, and things kind of broke up. Okay. You know, as they... The thing that's funny to me is I don't think they would have lost power or domination if they hadn't just decided to just go do their own thing mm. you know they even it said a kiev kiev over in russia, russia yeah they went and defeated a bunch of vikings over there too at the very what end the of hell? their yeah so the <laughs> mongols even took down fucking vikings who are who are thought of as equally fierce yeah and i a, kind of put them in crazy warriors like the same warrior they, footing, and you, you know, know they very well could be similar but ways, I guess. Who's mounted on horseback here? That's true. They're mounted archers. So we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, his conquest, Marco Polo wouldn't have been there to fall in love with his great-great-grandchild. So there you go. (laughs) Um, A descendant of Genghis Khan ruled until 1920 in what is present-day Uzbekistan now. Something happened, a fell, a coup, and then he got up and left and went. But there's a picture of him. I'll send it to you so you can put it on... I'll put it in the show notes. The social medias. Um, And that's... That was his, like, last living descendant, and I was like, whoa. Yeah, so it was the last one in power, we'll say. Sure. So in addition to the shared knowledge and technologies, the Mongols revolutionized warfare, with most of their success and victory being due to their horse-mounted archers. Yeah. Yes, so that's a huge part of the ferocity and the domination is, as they say, a bunch of illiterate horse people or whatever the Chinese emperor called them. Oh, yeah, that's right. I know. I'm sure horse he didn't. lord or something like that. That's what I called him. Oh no, yeah, I was say why is horse lord in my head? No, right that's now? just your sister <laughs> saying that. It's Katie's title. That was Katie's adaptation of it all. Uh, so they said that basically, Chinggis Khan probably learned how to fire an arrow from horseback at about the age of three, mm-hmm. and specifically, they got the best accuracy by timing their releases when all four feet are off the ground. Because there's one point when a horse is galloping; it's a four beat gait. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, like the walk. And there, if you look it up, it's the first movie ever made was actually a horse galloping. Yes. That's uh-huh. when they first realized that a horse is actually airborne for one full second. So it's when all his feet are collected up and under him. Uh-huh. He's actually whoop. And then he does like another big leap. And it's one foot on the ground at all times. And he's airborne again. Yeah. It, it's only a split second. And it's fast, but... And they timed the release of their yep. arrows. Because to... then you're not being jarred by a footfall. So, bam, oh, bam, smart. Bam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, that's one of those like duh things that makes sense. Like once it's said out loud. Yeah, but it's but a I'm lot like, easier oh, said oh, than done. Yeah. And I can tell you that. Just <laughs> oh, like yeah. all the games we do on horseback, like flags where you pick it up in one bucket and stab it in the other. Uh-huh. We have a couple of English riders who westerns the saddle with the horn where you can tie the rope to it. English is the one where there's, it's just looks like we call it a postage stamp, but <laughs> um, there's not a horn or a lot in the front. There's less saddle. It's what they use in the Olympic Games during dressage, that horse ballet and jumping and all that. That's an English saddle. And I'm actually not sure what kind of saddle they use, but I don't think it had a horn because that was, you know, but it was probably comfortable because they had to ride a long time in it. Sure. So a lot of English riders come and try these because people assume it's much easier because a Western saddle gives you more purchase because you're doing a lot more you know try to chase a cow in an english saddle you'll fly off the horse it's just harder to sit there's not as much to hold you in and they are surprised by how hard it is I'm like yeah it's very difficult that's why you do some things in one saddle some things in the other like mm-hmm. you know there's some sometimes it's not possible but um so me thinking of them riding around achieving accuracy of any kind like that i was like that's crazy. And they steer their horses with their feet and knees, which actually you should anyway. Most of your riding is supposed to come from your seat. Um, very little from your hands. But still, if your horse isn't trained to move off of feet and seat like that, yeah, it's just crazy. Like me, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, I've died so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but again, they did it so young, it right. was second nature to mm-hmm. them. So specifically, Attila the Hun is mentioned, which the Huns are kind of like, the horse-mounted archers, I think, where they began is kind of what I see. I only got to briefly look at it. Archery was invented around the time of the Egyptians, so it was a little bit before these guys, but these guys really, these guys being the Mongolians, but, like, recurve bows and stuff like that. If you don't know what a recurve is, it's basically you can fire a longer shot without a bigger bow. Okay. So, like, the English have what's called longbows. Longbow, yeah. They're fucking massive. They're, like, four feet tall, longer sometimes. But you can't carry that around on horseback. So the Mongols have recurve bows, which are very easy for them to fire from horseback and easy to carry because they're smaller. So that was a really good bit of technology. And then horses were domesticated on the Asian steppes. First, they were, like, hunted for meat and stuff like that. But then, you know, and this is obviously precursors to the Mongols, but their society was born of these early cultures and events and all that. So they were they were really some of the first people with archery, especially as an organized weapon, because a lot of times it was just used for hunting and domestication of horses. Obviously, some of it was in the Roman Empire, too, because they used them, like, pulling chariots and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but a whole different level mm-hmm. with the Mongols. I think that's what really attracted me to that, time in history and that culture is that you know horses and archery are obviously something I grew up with as a kid I'm like holy shit they do both (laughs) and it was pretty cool so they're like their games where they do that wrestling and they have archery competitions still today there you know like a lot of the people that was really interesting to me because I looked up just to see the Kudayun uh dance before Mm -hmm. it was some I don't know, white guy was there interviewing them and they were doing the wrestling and they tried to teach him how to shoot a bow and they were like, no, you're crap. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, you just shamed all of us here in the Western world. Get out of there. Next time, send someone who can do that. We can't look bad. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, true though, right? 
I know. I was like, damn it. Why didn't they interview the one reporter who could shoot a bow properly? <laughs> Someone's got to vet these people before they go. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. But um, so I think that's kind of also what attracted me to him particularly is cool. But also, I liked his don't tread on me attitude. <laughs> He's pretty metal. Yeah, and I he know is how, pretty metal. Oh, that, that is you also as well, too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I thought and. I thought that was pretty cool that they were like, yeah, they even like defeated Vikings. I was like, what? Yeah. Wow. Is there anyone they didn't defeat? It just sounds kind of like, you know, like in, uh, have you seen the movie Forrest Gump? I have not. Okay. Also, for those of you who have seen Forrest Gump, it just kind of makes me think of he was just running across the country, back and forth, coast to coast. And then he just got tired and was like, I, I think I'm going to go home now. And then just like finished. And that was kind of what happened with the Mongols. They just were conquering and conquering and they got to the height of their empire and then they started kind of having their It was really more politics than anything else that like, did them. Yeah, no, we're just going to move on to something else. And then... Yeah. It kind of sounded... As opposed to them getting defeated. Oh, conquered by someone else? Yeah, right, that wasn't yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Not at that time period. Right. Because when they conquered those parts of China, they took their siege weapons too. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. The catapults, all that. They had all of that. I didn't realize that. That's In- amazing. Indeed. Okay. Well, then yeah. Never defeated. At least not in that time period. Any time after that doesn't count because, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you, Katie, for a, such a, an enlightening story. I mean, obviously I knew of him to a certain you knew degree. Some there were it, some yeah. details I knew, but uh, there's a lot nice of likeness between him and Kudayun, I thought. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. There was a lot of little hearts there for me. I was like, oh, she was like her great-great-grandpa. Yeah. It sounds like it when you talk about it. He was really happy in Mongol heaven. Yeah. He was oh. like, yeah. It's like, that a girl. Proud papa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a girl. Yeah. You just wrestle all those men and never get defeated. I think this swooping hawk move is my favorite. Oh, yeah. He was probably like, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Full on rock fingers in that I mean, moment. That, that is metal right there. That is to be metal. Be able to swoop in on your horse, target a rider, and then take said rider off their horse and take them back to your father and be like a cat that's like, hey, mm-hmm. look, I found this mouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was wicked. Here we go, boop. There you go. You can have him. Oh, yeah, wicked. And it scared the hell out of people. Because, like you said, I guess in a sense, like the propaganda or like that, um, mm-hmm. the reputation preceding you mm-hmm. sort of thing. That was really where it sounded like to me a lot of times, especially after they defeated that what is now Beijing, like after that, everyone was like, holy shit, that was his first great victory. And that was the one that really sparked all the others because everyone's like, I mean, I think the Mongols themselves were like, oh, we can do this. Oh, he does know what he's doing. Oh, wow. Look at, you know, that's where they got a lot of siege weaponry and stuff like that and wealth. They're like, wow, nobody can stop us. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then again, like they said, with his foresight to be like, okay, well, now we've got to work with everybody because an empire, you know, like Abraham Lincoln said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Same idea. If he had pissed off the people he conquered, they would turn against him and the empire would crumble because you can't be everywhere all at once. And yet that's not what happened. So that should tell you also something about how he ruled Yeah. when he ruled, which is also very fascinating. And that, like I said, that con that united China, if you go back to that YouTube channel that 
I talked about, uh, she mentions a couple times, I think she was referring to, which is one we should do, uh, the Ballad of Mulan, which is actually a story told in China. It's an old story. Yeah. Um, they refer to the leader at the time as the Great Khan because it was Khans who ruled at that time. Not Chinese, yeah, a Mongolian. Okay. okay, yeah, yeah. Pretty yeah. wicked, huh? Yeah. I, she said that, and it like totally blew me away. I like stopped and thought about that. I was like, holy shit, these people were everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Russia, there's huge parts of Russia that have, in the, where Russia, the Middle East, and Asia all kind of like interconnect. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Mongolian culture in there still today, too, with dress sure. and all that. Yeah, that makes sense. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit, yeah. I wish we had pictures of him, but... Yeah, the pictures, I mean... They're just paintings. Yeah. There is no like, picture of him. Hopefully that sort of This is like the 13th like, century. You know? <laughs> it didn't exist. Yeah. So we only have tellings of what maybe he looked like or what mm-hmm. he was like. I can tell you, he's probably mighty. <laughs> Katie, thanks so much for taking us through the life of Chinggis Khan and his As life. As told from, like... <laughs> little fandom over here like yeah <laughs> Chinggis Chinggis he's our man the fangirl episode <laughs> yeah the fangirl episode on Chinggis Khan yeah I mean again I'm not blind as to like obviously like yes. the atrocities committed yes, but yeah. he's still cool like there's still a lot that goes into it it's like historically that's someone that should be taught about more in my opinion mm. like I said Alexander the Great Napoleon just saying you know, one was taken down by bunnies. The other one's empire was like four times smaller than the height of Mongolia. So I'm just saying, perhaps we should elevate him to number one spot. But that's just one girl's opinion. Yeah, no, well, no, I mean, it makes sense when you hear it. You're like, okay, yeah, I could see that strong argument there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This point, point well made. <laughs> and thank you, everybody, for joining us on... Uh, Chinggis Khan adventure to 1200s Mongolia or Mongolian Empire I should say Mm -hmm. and we look forward to seeing you again next week for episode 17 yeah and it'll be more together again doing we'll each do a story it's gonna be more normal (laughs) yeah (laughs) I'm getting caught up and so bless you Katie for doing this oh I was waiting for this day Like, are you are you good with that? I was like, oh. yeah, I didn't want to put pressure on you. Oh, but... my God, there's no pressure. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> so we've got some fun stories for you next week. In the meantime, folks, have a lovely rest of your evening. Get money, get high, give love, and... Bye, 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 bye. Oh, shit. <laughs> that was See so ya. good. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing on whatever platform you get your pods. It really does help us so much and also helps others find us and join our weekly history party. As for the socials, you can find us on Instagram at Hightailing History and on Facebook at Hightailing Through History or with the username at Hightailing History. You can contact us at HightailingHistoryPod at gmail.com. Have a great week, folks.